You're listening to the Daily Mishnah Podcast with Benedict. We're going to start the Tractate of Yevamot, which in turn is the first tractate of the Order of Nashim, the Order of, of Women. It's. I apologize for the gendered way in which... In, in, in which this sounds. It's, it's as if the Beit Midrash in the time of the Mishnah was populated by men and the um and they discussed women. So anyway, so and, and we could have a longer discussion of we can have a longer, longer discussion about this. But suffice it to say that the Yivamot is the first tractate in the order of Nashim. And while in theory it deals with the obligation of a person to marry the wife of his deceased brother if his deceased brother has no children. Because this is an obligatory marriage, the tractate is forced to discuss the nature of marriage itself. So questions as to forbidden marriages and permitted marriages are all dealt with in the tractate of Yuvamot. In other words, Yuvamot deals with the concept of marriage itself, as well as the concept of Yibum, of leveret marriage, of marriage um, to the widow of a deceased brother. And you might say that it's suitable to appear first off in the in the order of Nashim just for that fact, because it deals with forbidden and permitted marriages. But if we just look for a minute at the different tractates in the order of Nashim, you will see that they are arranged not particularly in order of subject matter, but in order of the number of chapters. And this is the case, by the way, for the rest of the Talmud. So when we began the, 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 the Mishnah of Moed, we began with a tractate of Shabbat and it had 24 chapters. And then we went to Eruvin, which had, the, uh, I think, 13 either 11 or 13 chapters, and, and so it went down from Pesachim and Shekalim and so on, till Chagiga at the end only had three chapters. And it's exactly the same in the order of Nashim. So Yuvamot has 16 chapters, it, and that, that's why it's at the head. It's not at the head because it, it's got foundational material, or perhaps it has foundational material because it's at the head. Maybe the causation goes the other way around. But Yivamot is at the head, it has 16 chapters. Then Kutubot, which really describes the obligation of each side in a marriage. Nazarim is about vows. Nazir is about the Nazirite. Why it appears in the tractate of Nashim at all is an interesting question, which we may be able to delve into. Sota is about the jealous husband. Gitin is about divorce. And the final tractate, Kidushin, which is the shortest, which is only four chapters, is about betrothal. So that's the structure of the order of Nashim. Now, as we begin the tractate of Yuvamot, there are a couple of biblical verses or a, a couple of sets of biblical verses that we need. And the first one is incredibly famous. It's from Devarim, I think in the Pasha of Kitetse, from memory, perhaps not. At the end of Devarim, at the end of Deuteronomy, the story of two brothers, two brothers, brothers dwell together. Interesting. The Gemara will make much the fact and the Mishnah will make much the fact they have to dwell together. They have to be living together. Achad mehem, uven ein 
And one of them dies and he has got no child. The wife of the dead shouldn't be married outside to someone not of her kin, to one not of her kin, but her husband's brother. Her husband's brother is called a Yabam in this verse. He's not called literally her husband's brother. He's called a Yabam. He'll go into her. This is a, a euphemism for sex. And he'll, he'll take her to him for a wife. And he will do the process of yibuming. The, the, the root yabam is used as a verb here. He will make, he will do whatever yabam is. It's often translated as do the duty of the, of, of the brother. That's the rule in Devarim. And then the, the Pusukim go on to say that the firstborn that she bears will grow up in the name of his dead brother. So the brother will, the name of the brother won't be erased from Israel. And there's a get-out clause. If a man doesn't want to take his brother's wife, his yibim to, his brother's wife, the brother's wife go up to the gate unto the elders, and we've seen this in the book of Ruth. The story of Ruth and Boaz is a story about yibum. The brother's wife goes up to the gate and says, my husband's brother refuses to raise up to his brother a name in Israel. He won't do yibum. And we, they go through this, this humiliating and embarrassing ritual. The elders of the city call him out and his brother's wife comes along and she takes his shoe off and she spits in his face and she says, so shall it be done to the man that does not build up his house. And his name shall be called in Israel, the family that had its shoe loosened. It's a humiliating and it's embarrassing ceremony, but that is the, that is the alternative to Yibum. Either the brother-in-law does Yibum, he, he marries his deceased brother's wife, or they together do this ceremony of Chalitza. We have a choice between Chalitza and Yibum. And, you know, the Mishnah Bechorot says, Mitzvat Yibum Kodemet Mitzvat Chalitza. The mitzvah of Yibum takes precedence over the mitzvah Chalitza. In other words, generally, we prefer people to do Yibum. We prefer them to marry their um, their sister-in-law than to do chalitza. At least that's how it was at the beginning, in the earliest times. Because people would intend to do it for the sake of the mitzvah. And then in the Mishnah, there's a sense of the here and now. The Mishnah goes on to say, and now, and this still applies now today, by the way. So this, 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 um, feeling in the Mishnah, which is 2,000 years ago, but is using the word now, is very similar to our feeling today. And now they don't intend to do it for the same of the mitzvah. 
Amru mitzvat chalitza kodemet lemitzvat yibum. The mitzvah of chalitza takes precedence over the mitzvah of yibum. In other words, today we prefer to do chalitza than to do yibum. That's pretty much the tradition today. One other possible reason why, one reason why the, the, the mitzvah of yibum is so interesting and so perhaps so contentious is that there is another pasuk. There's a different pasuk in Vayikra, in the Pasha of Kedoshim, which seems to militate against it. So in Devarim, clear there's a mitzvah for the brother to marry his sister-in-law, his deceased brother's wife. But in Vayikra, in Kedoshim, we hear, Ervat Do not uncover the nakedness of your brother's wife. It's the nakedness of your brother. We're not allowed to marry our brother's wife. So how can it be that we're command, and this is part of the tension running through the tractate of Yuvamot, and you'll see in the first Mishnah that we're playing with forbidden and permitted marriages. That we're playing on, you know, what it what is allowed and what is not allowed in a marriage. This is really the structure, the the this is really the content of the tractate of Yuvamot. So we're playing with this tension between what is mandatory and what is absolutely forbidden. And it's difficult to reconcile the two. And interestingly, the Jerusalem Talmud, the Yerushalmi in Nadarim, comes up with a with an, a line that we all know: "Zachor v'shamor shnehem b'dibur echad." The word "shamor" and the the, the, the commandment "zachor" and "shamor," the two versions of the fourth commandment, to keep the Shabbat, to remember the Shabbat, and to keep the Shabbat. One in um, one in Shemot and one in Devarim. They're different versions. And the Gemara says they were given in one speech, as if God said both versions simultaneously. That's a famous, famous Gemara. And the Gemara goes on to say, which is impossible for the mouth to say and for the ear to hear. This is a, a metaphysical, um, it's, it's, a mag- it's, a, it's, a, it's a beyond physical feat for this to have happened. But hang on, and that's, but the, the 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 Jerusalem Talmud goes on now to quote our pesukim ervat you shall not uncover the uncover the nakedness of your brother's wife and and her brother-in-law shall come to her the two pesukim that we've just learned they also were said together. They were said together, i.e. they're contradictory, like Shamor and Zachor, and somehow they were said together, we have to manage, we somehow have to keep keep both of them in mind together. God spoke once, two I heard. They're spoken with one voice, but somehow we hear we hear it two ways. And then the discussion in the, in the Yerushalmi finishes. Is not my word like a fire, says God, and like a hammer which shatters a rock. In other words, somehow the divine words are, are beyond physical. And, and it is possible for two contradictory things to exist at the same time, and somehow we have to deal with it. So, 
that is the introduction to the subject of Yivamot. But before we get into the first Mishnah, there's one other word which we need to learn, which is the word tsara, the word tsara, arrival. We're going back to Kedoshim. You can't marry a woman as well as her sister. As a rival. To uncover her nakedness in the other's life. If if you marry two women who are sisters, they're rivals. They're tsrorim. And we hear this in Shmuel, the story of Chana and Penina, the two wives of Elkanah. And, um, and we hear that um, Panini would make Hannah upset. Her rival would make her miserable. The second wife of a man is called Sarata, her rival. And we're going to see now this word rival used in the Mishnah in the sense of a person's second, a man's second wife. So now let's jump into the Mishnah. Fifteen women exempt their rival wives. That means the other wives of their, their husbands. And the rival wives of their rival wives. So maybe, maybe one of the rivals was then married to somebody else and had other rivals. Fifteen types of women exempt them. From Minha Khalitsa or Minha Yibum, from Khalitsa and from Yibum. So for these 15 relationships, and these are going to be forbidden relationships in marriage, by the way. So we are going to define what a forbidden marriage is via the mitzvah of Yibum, via the mitzvah of leveret marriage. We're going to define what is permitted and what is forbidden. 15 of these relationships, these forbidden relationships, they're forbidden for marriage and they exempt. Wives and rival wives, both from Chalitza and from Yibum. So we don't have a choice of Chalitza or Yibum. Both are, neither one is relevant. And these are kind of classic forbidden marriage relationships. Bitor, his daughter, Uvat Bitor, his granddaughter, Uvat Bitor, Uvat Beno, and his grand, his, and the daughter of his son, Uvat Ishtor, and the daughter of his wife, Uvat Bita. And the grand and her granddaughter Uvat Bena and her grand and her other granddaughter Hamuta, his Hamuto, um, his mother-in-law, the Aim Hamuto, the mother of his mother-in-law, the Aim Hamav and his father-in-law's mother. That's Aim Hamav. The his sister. This is going to be his um, half-sister, obviously. The and the sister of his mother, and the sister of his wife, and the sister and the wife of his brother, and the wife of his brother, who is his maternal brother's wife, and the wife of his brother who died before he was born. The wife of his brother who died before he was born. Because remember, we said, when two brothers live together, they both have to be living. Everyone has to be living at the time that this happens. 
So these are the 15 relationships that don't require either Yibum or Chalitza. So all of these exempt their rival wives. That is to say that we have some, my, our brother, our, our brother has deceased. Maybe he has two, maybe he has two wives. Maybe one of them is a forbidden relationship. But the fact that this one who is in a forbidden relationship to the other brother, and is therefore exempt from Yibum and from, from Chalitza, she actually exempts the whole of the harem. So however many wives our deceased brother have, they are all exempted from Chalitza and Yibum. And so on until the end of the world. Ad Sof Ha'olam. It's very interesting language from, from the Mishnah. They exempt their rival wives and their wives from Chalitza and from Yibum at Sof HaOlam, until the end of the world, i.e. ad infinitum. So, for example, if one of these wives who was exempted then marries another brother or marries somebody else and he dies, then they will then, ex uh, it would have to be another brother, actually, and then he dies, then they would then exempt their rivals and so on. So if people keep on marrying different men, then you have this chain of, assuming they all have more than one wife, you have this chain of additional rivals building up. And it's like a chain reaction. Each person that is exempt from Chalitza and Yibum exempts their rival wives and their rival wives, their rival wives, and so on and so on. Ad Sofalom until the end of the world. Now, vechulan imetu, o meanu, o nitgarshu, o shenimtsu alion, ush, o shenimtsu elionyot, sarotihan mutarot. But, but it doesn't always work. If any of them died, in other words, the, um, If let's say, for example, that the the person with the for, for forbidden relationship had died, or had had made a declaration of refusal, now you can marry off your daughter. You can marry off your daughter in the time of the Mishnah when she is too young to accept marriage. In other words, below the age of twelve. But if you do that. When she becomes age 12, she can say, I refuse to marry that man. So the marriage below the age of 12 is, I, I think it will be treated as only rabbinic because it doesn't really take effect until she, till she passes the age of 12 and a half and she passes the point where she can say, I refuse to take that man. But if she made a declaration of refusal, then she's not really considered his wife. So this does not apply. Or shenit garshu, she's divorced. Or shenim tsu ilonyot. 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 Ilonyot is someone who is congenitally unable to bear children. So maybe, yeah, for whatever congenital reason, they cannot have children. Tsarotehem mutarot. And in this case, their rivals are permitted. So in, in this case, 
the um, their, the other wives might be permitted to marry the brother of the of the deceased husband. And then the Mishnah concludes, Ein at yachol lomar b'chamoto, ve'ein b'chamoto, ve'ein b'chamav, shenimtsu ilyonot, or shemeinu. You can't say of a man's mother-in-law, or the mother of his mother-in-law, or the mother of his father-in-law, that they were incapable of childbearing. Because kind of it's kind of obvious that if it's their, your mother-in-law, then she must have had children. She can't be congenitally incapable of having children. Or for that matter, that they'd made a declaration of refusal because, again, they're, they're, they're married, right? They, they've clearly been married. They clearly haven't made it. They clearly haven't made a declaration of refusal. So in other words, some of these situations are logically impossible. And the Mishnah seems to recognize that. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Daily Mishnah Podcast with Benedict. Benedict. 